Today's episode is sponsored by SearchPress. For over 50 years, SearchPress has delighted crafters with books on knitting, crochet, sewing, quilting, fiber crafts, painting, and drawing. If you want to try a new craft or improve your skills, SearchPress has detailed instruction books for you. If you would like to learn more about selling SearchPress books in your store or on your website, check out their website at searchpressusa.com. Thank you so much, SearchPress. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 235 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about creating a subscription box with my guest, Cheryl Hamm. Cheryl is a self-taught knitter who learned the craft with a little help from YouTube and a pair of her mother's long forgotten and slightly bent size nine needles. Cheryl's also the owner of Hypnotic Yarn, which came to life in 2017 after she discovered the existence of hand-dyed yarn while watching knitting podcasts. Later, Cheryl founded Yarnable, a monthly hand-dyed yarn subscription that encourages self-care through the joy of knitting. When she's not playing with color in her Southern New Hampshire studio, Cheryl can be found snuggling with her two chihuahua. Cheryl Ham, welcome. Thank you so much, Abby, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, it's great talking to you. And you're in Southern New Hampshire and I'm in the Boston area. So we are not too far away from one another. I saw that and I didn't know if you were still in Boston. So yeah. Well, we're so close to each other. We're yeah. The same weather here today. <laughs> I know. And it's good weather if you're somebody who night, likes to make things that are knitted or crocheted or likes to make quilts because those are all snuggly things that, yes. you know, get, get bigger and warmer as you, <laughs> as you make them. So it's kind of a good air. The Northeast is a good area for that kind of craft. So um, how did you learn how to knit? Tell us the story. It sounds like you learned from your um, your mom with with your mom's knitting needles, but how did, did you learn from your mom? So I didn't. It's kind of a funny story because I come from a family of many talented, creative, crafty people. However, none of them found it necessary to bestow any of that information upon me. <laughs> For some reason, they um, my parents had me a bit later in life and. My grandparents had my parents a bit later in life. So it was a pretty big age gap between me and most of my immediate family. So for instance, my mom's sister is 18 years older than her. So uh, my, my aunt was a knitter. My grandmother was a knitter, but they were both much, much older than I was. Um, and then my aunt on my father's side was an avid crocheter. My mom did every craft I think you could imagine but yeah, nobody really included me all that much in these <laughs> in these crafts that they were doing. So it was kind of funny. I was at a craft fair and one of the vendors had these handmade mitts. They were these like really wooly, um, really chunky hand knit fingerless mitts. And I bought a pair and I loved them. 
I love them so much. I wore them all winter. I couldn't get enough of them and they got really worn out. And I thought I need another pair of these for myself, Uh, but I had no idea how to knit. I had dabbled in crochet a little bit. So I thought, okay, maybe I can figure out how to crochet myself a pair. And I did. I, I'm not the best crocheter then still am not for some reason crochet just does not come naturally to me, but I managed to make these fingerless mitts and I was so excited. I made like probably 20 pairs for myself. And then I started giving them away to people. And what I started encountering as I was crocheting was a lot of the stitches were faux knit stitches in these patterns that I was looking at. And I thought, you know what, I should see if I can learn how to knit. Um, And I, I had no idea how to start doing that. So I was watching some YouTube videos and I talked to my mom because I know, you know, she was doing a lot of crafts throughout her whole life. And she pulled out, I think from the attic, this, this pair of gigantic size nine metal straight needles that I had to hold under my armpits to work with. And one of them was kind of bent and it was just hilarious, but that's, that's what I had. So um, I, I practiced with those and I really didn't know that there was any other way to do it at the time. So I was kind of practicing on those with some old knitting books and things that she had. And then I started looking on YouTube and I saw, you know, that there were these tools and these yarns and and this whole new world kind of opened up to me. So then I, I really, I just kind of did, you know, one thing at a time and I, I upgraded my needles. I started upgrading my yarn and I would say, you know, it took me probably about a year before I was really like a proficient knitter where I kind of felt like I knew what I was doing. And what kind of yarn were you using for that first project or those first sets of mitts that you were making? Yeah. So I was using your general big box craft store yarn for quite a while. And then I I think through YouTube really discovered that there were other yarns available out there. I honestly had no idea And I did some Googling and found that there was a yarn store not too far from me. So I started going there and they didn't really have a whole lot of hand dyed yarn, but they did have some higher quality um, like wool and, and things like that, that I wasn't seeing as much in the big box store. So I bought, um, I bought two skeins of yarn from them. The very first two skeins I bought, I had no idea that you needed these special tools or equipment to use this yarn. So I just brought it home in a, in a hank and opened it up and just tried to knit with it right from that. And it's funny that I talked to people and so many people have had this experience and I think nobody likes to admit that (laughs) they've done this. And then I say, Oh no, I, I did that too. Um, so then I realized, you know, I needed things like a swift and a yarn ball winder. And, and it was just kind of like a rabbit hole from there because, you know, then I, I learned about hand dyed yarn. And then I went on a search through the internet for this magical creation <laughs> that so many people were showing on YouTube that I had never really seen in, in like real life. So yeah, so I bought my first skeins of hand dyed yarn, probably six months into my, my knitting journey. 
And I think your journey is really representative of so many people's journey, which is to say, starting with probably some sort of acrylic yarn that you buy at a big box store because you're just totally unaware that there is anything else. And also, how do you know if you really like this and want to stick to it? So don't mm-hmm. want to spend a ton of money at the at the outset. But then once you realize you do like it and how long it actually takes to make something that you're going to want to wear, then you think, well, if I'm going to invest 20 hours in this project, I want to actually like the fabric that it creates. I want to like how it feels. I don't want it to be itchy. I don't want it to be plasticky feeling. Um, And so then you start to invest the money in the premium products and tools and it kind of is a spiral from there. Um, And I think the same sorts of things happen in other crafts too. Um, but I think it's also, it's great to realize the role that those big box stores plays in the journey for so many people and many people who become, you know, actually business owners. Absolutely. And I think that those big box store yarns, they still have a valid place in, in our craft, you know, depending on what you're looking to make. I mean, obviously I sell hand-dyed yarn and, and I want people to experience that, but I think there's a place for all of it. So um, I was really lucky that I have lots of options for those acrylic yarns and things in my area too. So I think if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have gotten started because like you said, uh, I wasn't prepared to spend and nor should I have really spent that much money because my first knit creations were not, they were not the best, you know, so I really needed to practice on even yarns like Red Heart. And, you know, these are great sturdy yarns that you can frog and retry over and over again. So I was really lucky that I had a wide range of yarns like that to choose from. And tell us a little bit about what you were doing career-wise during this sort of introduction to your knitting journey, introduction to the knitting world. Um, I'm assuming you had a day job. What were you doing at that time? I did. I worked in distribution sales. So I was an inside salesperson. Um, By the time I left my job, I had been there for about 15 years. So I had been there for quite a while before I had started doing anything with yarn and my coworkers got to experience the joy of all of these knitted gifts that I would make and then bring into them because we would sit at our desks and type and our hands would get so cold. And I think that's just a common thing about anybody who has had an office job knows that your hands get so cold when you're just sitting for eight hours a day and typing. So they got to enjoy all of these fingerless mitts that I was making (laughs) for the first several months of my, um, you know, my, my journey. That was really fun. And, you know, it sounds like working in sales, I wondered whether there were some aspects of that job um, over 15 years, which is a long stretch that you felt were applicable when you started a yarn-based business, like some things that you learned through that, that you're like, oh yeah, that's the reason I'm able to think this way or do certain things in my craft um, business. Yeah, absolutely. I think that to myself quite often. And, you know, sometimes I can waffle back and forth between wishing that I had started my own business sooner, because sometimes I see, you know, people who are really just starting out earlier in life and they're, they're already very successful in their business. And there were times that I would think like, oh, I wish I had done this so much sooner, but 
you know, then I think I realized if I hadn't had the experiences that I had, then I probably wouldn't have the business that I have. So for me, the sales aspect, especially when it comes to the subscription box, has been very helpful in just understanding how to negotiate pricing, um, creating relationships with vendors where, you know, I kind of understand what it looks like from the other side and, and the process that they're going through and how to deal with like a one-on-one person and develop those relationships as opposed to maybe just going through customer service websites or, or, you know what I mean? Things like that, where, um, I don't know. I just, it's, it's a really interesting way to, to think about it from the other side of that, that sales process. Yeah. Um, So I think it's been very helpful for me. Yeah. And just maybe some confidence too, some perspective, um, that's great. And so, um, so it sounds like you got introduced to hand dyed yarns and, um, and so what did you think of them when you first started using them and when did you decide that you wanted to try your hand at hand dyeing? Well, so I bought the very first yarn I bought that was hand dyed was self-striping yarn and it was pretty expensive. I, w- I want to say it was probably like $36. And to me, that was that, that, that was a big deal. That was a lot of money to spend on a skein of yarn. And I bought two and I was going to make socks with this yarn. And I made my first pair and, um, and I called them my foot bags (laughs) because they were so large. I don't, I have no idea how I made them as large as I did, but they would have been more appropriate for probably clown feet. They were just gigantic. And so I put them aside. I still have them. I can't uh, bear to, you know, I didn't frog them. I just, I kept them. And then I set that other skein of hand dyed yarn aside for probably another six months. And I went back to practicing on some lesser expensive yarn uh, until I got even more proficient. And then, um, and then once I did, I knew that hand dyed was definitely going to be my path forward, but the price was still a barrier to entry for me. So I, I'm, I'm that person that thinks I can do that, whatever it is, I can teach myself how to do it. And my husband, he laughs at me all the time because while I can do a lot of things, I don't necessarily understand the length of time involved in doing some of these things and, and all of the steps that are really required to do these things like take um, painting, for instance, I think you can just paint any room in, in like an hour. I forget that there's all these other steps involved besides just putting the paint on the wall. So I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to start dyeing my own yarn. And um, so I did. I mean, I just grabbed some, some yarn. I think I just ordered some like white yarn to start with. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I just grabbed whatever I could find that was not expensive online and bought some dyes. And I, I think I got some money for, for Christmas. I think I got about $200 for Christmas that year. And I just took that money and I bought a pan and I bought a, about nine different dye colors and I bought some yarn that I could find. And then I, I wound those skeins of yarn off into like 20 gram minis because it was so precious to me, this yarn that I felt like I had to learn everything I needed to know on this, these like 10 skeins of yarn that I had. So I bought everything I needed 
And um, I just set it all up in my kitchen on my stove and, and played around. And I've never really had a fear of trying things. So there wasn't too much intimidation of, well, what if this doesn't come out well, or, you know, what's going to happen if I don't do it right? Um, That really never occurred to me. I just started. And then, you know, I learned from my mistakes. And so how did that then become your own brand of yarn? Because it's one thing to just use your Christmas money to create some skeins for yourself and do some experimenting and try to bring the price point down so that you can actually afford some hand-dyed yarn um, by making it yourself. But it's another thing to say, well, if I'm going to go into business, like I need to be able to have a dye recipe that I can replicate um, over and over again and create, um, you know, colors um, that are going to be appealing to other people, not just to me. I mean, there's a whole set of things that you have to do in order to transition from it being just your hobby to being something that's a business. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I subscribe to the theory that done is better than perfect. And sometimes if we just, if we keep trying to make everything perfect and we try to just make sure every little detail is in place, we're, we're never going to move forward. So I really did just start before I knew a lot of those things because you don't know what you don't know. So when I, once I knew that I could offer yarn that was a quality level that I was comfortable with, that was really the only issue that I felt like I needed to nail. It just needed to be high quality. It needed to be color fast. It needed to not run. I needed to understand the chemistry involved in dyeing yarn. And once I had that, um, I just started really small. So I I love roping other people into my, my business schemes, my different things that I like to do, my hobbies, whatever it is. I like to grab people and take them along for the ride with me. So I got a hold of my mother-in-law. And at the time, she was sewing um, all kinds of little things. And I said, well, why don't, why don't we start an Etsy shop together? And you can make bags and I'll make yarn and we'll, we'll put it up and, you know, we'll see what happens. Because really at the time I had a very secure job. I, I didn't need to be making a lot of money from this. It was more of a, you know, Hey, like let's, let's just see. And for some reason, I don't know why she agreed to go along with me and do this. I think because I agreed to take care of all of the finances and all of the tech and, and all of the, those moving pieces. And, and she could just make her bags and, and I would put them on the website. So we did that. And I think I started with like 10 skeins of yarn that I listed on the website. And when I sold those, I reinvested it and I bought 20 skeins of yarn and then I dyed those. And then I learned what people wanted by what was selling. I started an Instagram and I learned how to figure out how to connect with an audience. I mean, I think I just picked one little piece and I worked on that. And then once I felt comfortable with that little, that little piece, I moved on to something else like, okay, this yarn is starting to sell. I mean, slowly, it wasn't flying off the shelves by any means, but it was moving. And so it was like, okay, I've got that part down. I understand how Etsy works. Now, how can I find people? 
now I've got to go collect some people to, to buy what I'm putting out. And so I worked on that piece. And then it was, well, now how do I communicate with these people? Okay, let's start a newsletter. So then I figured out how to do that. So it was really just a very slow step-by-step um, in trial and error. I'd like to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Search Press. Do you get questions about how to learn certain crafts, how to make a specific stitch or a certain style of knitting or crochet? These are the questions that all craft businesses want to answer and answer with something at their fingertips. Maybe you're thinking of teaching courses in certain crafts in your store. How would you start? If your goal is to keep your customers close and keep them happy, offering instructions and books is a great way to support them. Successful independent craft store owners will tell you books sell materials, fabric, yarn, and the notions to go with the projects. If you attended H&H last year, you will have heard a lot about product placement and ways to excite your patrons to buy, with books being a great way to do so. At Search Press, they produce books that help crafters start and succeed at a new craft. Needle felting grab your interest? They have a best-selling book aimed at beginners, Needle Felting for Beginners. From knitting garments for a Viking to a year of knitting and everything in between, Search Press can help inspire you to use your stash or find the perfect fiber for your next project. As an independent publisher, Search Press works with crafters and teachers to help them produce a book to share their craft with the world. From development to sales and marketing, the global team guides your idea to reality. Search Press books are known for detailed instruction steps for all projects, and this hallmark is part of their process. Find out how they can help you see your work become a reality and inspire others. Check them out at searchpressusa.com. Thank you so much, Search Press. And now, back to my conversation with Cheryl. Yeah, I love that. And I think it can be so overwhelming to think you have to have it all nailed down at the beginning. Um, but number one, it's great to have a, a buddy, in this case, your mother-in-law, to kind of bounce ideas off of and and notice what's happening together. Um, and so, and also you're not responsible for all of the inventory because she's doing <laughs> half of it. Um, yeah. So that that's super helpful. Um, and I also love the idea of using Etsy as a way to sort of find product market fit. So you're there, you're seeing what sells. And sometimes we're so in love with certain things because they suit our tastes, but it's not necessarily what our customer is looking for. And it's very instructive to just watch what is selling, what people do react to on Instagram when you post it. Um, I don't know if you remember some early things that sort of did better than you expected and were surprising to you. Yes. So um, I created this Christmas colorway and I thought nobody is going to want this. No one will want this color because it was like fluorescent lime green and the brightest red you could imagine just together in a skein of yarn. And I thought that is, is probably not my, my aesthetic. It's not something that I would probably want to make something out of. Um, but I put it on Instagram, I think in my stories. And I said, like, is this amazing or is this hideous? <laughs> and, and I put up like one of those little polls 
And lo and behold, most like 90% of the people said that it was amazing and they loved it. And I think like 10% said it was hideous. And I found that hilarious because I was like, yes, I, I think it's hideous also, but a large number of people really liked it. And I thought, okay, so then I died a ton of that yarn. And I dyed that yarn for a couple of years after that, every Christmas season, I would dye this yarn and, and it kept selling. And that was a huge surprise for me. So, you know, you just never know. And I think there's really something for everybody. So, and I know even in talking to other indie dyers, a lot of us have seen this where we'll create something that we personally just really dislike and it ends up being a bestseller. And it's so funny how that happens because then the things we think are, are what people want, it'll sit there and, and nobody buys it at all. So yeah, interesting. It, absolutely. And are you dyeing superwash or what kind, what is the, the, um, the fiber makeup? I am dyeing superwash. So my current base is an 8515 superwash merino and nylon. Um, but when I started I tried everything and I listed everything for sale and I bought every yarn base and I just one because I wanted to try it and I wanted to understand how these different fibers took dye because, you know, silk dyes differently than alpaca, than, you know, mohair, all these things, right? Superwash, non-superwash, they all take dye very differently. Um, but I also wanted to offer everything. I wanted to put everything in my shop and just you know, if you wanted it, I wanted you to be able to buy it from me. What I realized very quickly is that um, while I can do anything, I cannot do everything. And I think that's at the point where I learned that I really needed to find my ideal audience. Who were the people that I wanted to serve? Because there's a lot of knitters out there. And to be honest, if, if every knitter in the world wanted to buy my yarn, I could not support that level of business. So I really think that there's plenty of business for me and for everybody if we niche down. And we can go down pretty far. We can niche down pretty far and still have plenty of business. And so that's what I ended up doing is really trying to discover who my ideal customer was, what colors they like, instead of you know, what is everybody out there buying? What do my customers want to see from me? What's drawing them to me? And, and then serve them and speak to them. And I think when I did that, it helped me become known for something. Instead of just being one person in a sea of many, it became, oh, if you want this type of yarn, this is where you want to go. And, and then the same thing kind of happened with the subscription box when I launched that. So I think that the further I could niche down and, and, and stop carrying so many types of yarn and fibers, I mean, we really only carry two. We carry a fingering weight and a DK weight, and they're both 85% superwash merino, 15% nylon. I love the base. They're very versatile for most projects that you would want to make, and, and it allows us to focus on our creative process as opposed to managing so much inventory. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people who probably message you and say, oh, can't you use this different type of fiber? That's what I like kind of thing. And, and I, you know, I, I had this lesson early on, I used to make teddy bears 
And I sold them to a boutique, a children's boutique here in town. And they were made from wool. And um, and they were in the process of buying them. And, and one of the um, the people who worked at the store said, well, what about those people who have wool allergies? And the person who owned the store said, well, you know what? They're not for everyone. And I was like, that is so true. Like your product is just not for everyone. And there are going to be customers who say, well, I don't want that. I want something different. Can't you make me something different? And I think it's okay to say, no, you know, that that's not what we make. Um, but there are lots of other people who do make that. And, and here are some places to go. Yes, that is very true. Uh, at the beginning, or even the first maybe two years, I was doing a lot of things like custom dyeing. If somebody, you know, they had a photo and they wanted a yarn dyed to this very specific thing, or they wanted their sports team or, you know, whatever it was. And I wanted to accommodate all this requests and I would try, but what I found was for me, what was my interpretation of their photo or, you know, whatever it was they were asking for may not have been their interpretation, even with a lot of conversation and you would end up dying something and then it wouldn't be what they wanted. And then you dye it again and it wouldn't quite be there. And, and it, it was, it would get a little out of hand and it was time that I just didn't have. So we started saying, okay, well, if you want something custom, it has to be, you know, a certain quantity. And then eventually we phased that out altogether. And we phased out died to order altogether because I think as you grow, it just, some of these things become unsustainable, but also people used to ask me for worsted weight yarn all the time. They wanted worsted weight and I would buy it and I would dye it and put it for sale. And then it would sit and no one would actually buy it. So sometimes I think even though people ask for things, it doesn't, it's not a guarantee that they're going to buy it. So you really do need to do what you think is going to work well. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with trying certain things. I tried cotton because I thought, what about those wool allergies? And, you know, that was a whole nother rabbit hole that I went down. But, you know, eventually, yeah, like, you know, I learned like, I'm not for everybody. My dyeing style is not for everybody. My color aesthetic is not for everybody. And that's okay. And I have friends now in the yarn industry, and I happily will refer them to another subscription box, another yarn dyer, um, because I really think there's plenty of room for all of us. So if I'm not for you, I probably know somebody who is, you know? Yeah. Learning to say no. Um, and also learning to not take things personally. It's not about you as a human being that somebody doesn't like the way that you dye your yarn. Um, and, and that separation is really important as well. So was the name of the business hypnotic yarn from the very beginning? Well, mostly. It was mostly from the very beginning. Um, when I very first started, it's hard to find a business name. And it's harder to find a business name that you love that isn't already taken. So our original name was Nitsy Pearlsy, <laughs> which I thought was so adorable at the time. And now I look back and go, oh, my goodness. I mean, it's cute, but it just didn't really fit in with like what I was putting out there. So 
Um, so then we went to hypnotic yarn and I was surprised that that wasn't taken. And I, I remember coming up with a few words that I really liked adjectives that I really liked, and then popping them into the internet and asking for synonyms, give me synonyms for these words, and then finding ones that I really liked, and then looking to see if they were taken in any capacity. And that's eventually I landed on hypnotic yarn and our logo is this little sheep and his name is Mesmer after um, like the inventor of um, hypnotherapy. And so his little sheep has the little like mesmerized eyes, like those like swirls in his eyes. And we thought that was just too adorable. So um, yeah, that's kind of where we started and We've been happy with that ever since. And was your mother-in-law along for this ride all the way through? She's still with you or no? No. So about a year after we started our Etsy shop, I had grown enough in the yarn side of things that Etsy wasn't providing all of the tools that I felt like I needed to continue to grow. And I also felt like I wanted to start driving traffic to a site that I had control over, which I think a lot of people end up doing. I mean, Etsy is great and a lot of people stay on there, but I think a lot of people also end up either doing both or moving off just because you have a little more control. You can um, collect emails through your own website. Where that's you really- the main thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then there was like some branding things that you, you just can't do that I wanted to implement. So yeah, so we moved off. We went over to Shopify in 2018, I think, like right at the beginning of the year. And, and we've been on Shopify ever since we've been really happy there. Okay. And so, and is your mother-in-law still part of that business too? No, no. She kind of kept on with the Etsy side for a while and I was still sort of like managing it for her, but, um, she ended up just deciding that it wasn't something she wanted to do long-term. She wanted to do it as a hobby. That was where she wanted to be. And again, Etsy can be a great way to also figure that out because just because you like to make things and people say, oh, you should sell that doesn't mean it's a business. And so I think it's a really good place to sort of experiment with that. And you both went in different directions, made different decisions. So that's also um, really interesting to hear. Okay. So you have the Shopify site, your hand dyeing yarn. Did you upgrade, I'm assuming, from the pots and pans on your stove and your kitchen to something that was a little more industrial? We did. So in 2018, I think it's probably somewhere around the middle of the year, we, what I had decided was that although I was doing fairly well with the yarn sales at that point, I was leaning towards wanting to make this a much more serious business and potentially a business that would replace my job. I was thinking I did not want to work in the sales job until I was, I think I need to be like 72 years old to like formally retire. So I thought, oh gosh, do I really want to do that until I'm, you know, 72 years old? And the answer was a resounding no, I do not. I wanted to work for myself. I think I knew at that point, like, okay, this is picking up speed I'm kind of figuring out what I'm doing and I could see a path forward that might allow me to transition to being self-employed. So we started the, this mystery yarn club because what I was realizing was that it was 
still difficult to get a consistent amount of sales. And I thought, I need a new revenue stream. I need to add a new revenue stream to this business. And I thought the idea of recurring revenue was really exciting because it was something that I could rely on. It was something I could plan for. I could do some forecasting. You know, with my sales background and in distribution sales specifically, you know, I knew a lot about forecasting and, and understanding your numbers and things like that. So I thought, ooh, I want to add some recurring revenue and see how that goes. And so I did. And once that really started picking up and expanding and eventually turned into Yarnable, our subscription box, that's when I knew we needed to upgrade our equipment. So it was when we now had sure sales every single month that I knew no matter what I needed to die, you know, X number of skeins. At first it was, you know, 50, then it was a hundred. And then I think by 2020, we had about 300 monthly subscribers. So we were, you know, I knew I'm going to sell the 300 skeins of yarn through this box every single month. So we upgraded um, to some steam tables which I don't, it's mostly restaurant equipment. If you're not familiar with yarn dyeing, most of what we use when you start upgrading is restaurant equipment. So I had gotten some steam tables. We got them used on Facebook Marketplace and we moved the whole operation to the basement. So that was the big move. We went from the kitchen <laughs> to the basement and we were, I was dying in there. I say we, mostly as my husband, I would like sometimes wrangle his house. And, and sometimes my son, I would I make them uh, wash yarn and things for me. But we had a nice little setup down there. We got a commercial sink. So we had this big like three bay commercial sink. We had a couple of steam tables. And then we added a, um, a holding cabinet, which is where um, like in the food industry, they would keep their their food warm and heated so that it can be served without, you know, creating bacteria and things or whatever. So that's where I started dyeing my yarn. So we went from, you know, one pan or two pans on my stove in my kitchen and using my kitchen sink to this, this larger setup that was now down in my basement. And then eventually I had to kick my husband out of his man cave that was also in the basement in an adjacent finished part of the house. He had to go and we took over. Then the whole like bottom floor of the house was for the business. But I mean, eventually we all grew that as well. So we had to move to a commercial space eventually. Um, and so this really was because you had recurring revenue that you felt confident, you know, investing in this equipment, which I'm sure was not an insignificant expense to have a, you know, a giant sink installed. I mean, that's not cheap. You're talking about buying equipment, hiring a plumber. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. it's definitely several thousand, if not more dollars to get all of this done. Um, and so that first recurring revenue you said was like a mystery box. Can you tell us what was the first sort of start of this recurring revenue stream? Yeah. So we started out with just a skein of yarn. It was just a mystery skein of yarn. There was nothing else included there were, were it wasn't fancy it was just the only way you could get this yarn was if you subscribed and then we would send it to you monthly so we used i think an app there was an app on shopify that we could get that would run this recurring subscription and people could sign up 
And then they just got this exclusive mystery skein of yarn every month. So they really had to kind of trust me to know that I'm going to send them something that they're not going to hate. And we ended up implementing and and we have it to this day. And I really love it. We have a 100% satisfaction guarantee return policy where if I send you something and you just hate it, if you reach out to me within a week, I'll send you a return label and I'll take it back. Like I will pay for you to send it back. Like literally it's zero cost to you to try it because I felt like I needed to give people a reason to trust me, especially if I wanted to bring new people into my world that didn't know me and I wanted them to buy into the subscription. And honestly, I think I've maybe had three people ever take me up on that offer within like the last five years. So, but I like that it's there and I like that it shows that I have confidence in what I'm putting out. Like we're, we take a lot of pride in, you know, quality check. We have three people that check everything. So we feel really confident and we want people to know that when we send something out, you're you're probably going to love it. (laughs) But, you know, at the time it was really small. So we, we put this out, we had our satisfaction guarantee policy in place and we tried to grow it slowly and, and it did okay. I think that first year we got maybe 50 subscribers in total. Um, and I was still, I think, having a hard time finding my audience for it. So that's when in 2019, we relaunched as Yarnable and we turned it into an actual subscription box that was themed and it came with different extras every month. It came with the yarn. And then I think it was around that time we added the ability to go and sneak peek at the yarn. We would offer a full color photo, but you had to go and see it. We didn't post it anywhere. So we would put out a link. And if you hated mysteries and you wanted to see it, you could go. And it also allowed people to see what we've done in the past. And that gave them an idea of if we would be a good fit for them. Um, and then if they didn't want it, they can they could skip it. So we offered that as well. Now you could skip months that you didn't want if that color wasn't going to be for you. So I think we tried to just really listen to what um, what people were saying and maybe why they weren't subscribing or what they liked and didn't like about the subscription that we currently have. And we tried to just keep tweaking it and making changes because just like the yarn dyeing, I had never run a subscription before. I, you know, there wasn't any training, at least that I was aware of, of like how to how to run a subscription box when I first started this. So we just kind of had to figure it out. And somebody at that point had asked me, well, if somebody like stole your husband and the only way you could get him back was to get like, you know, this number of subscribers, I think at the time my goal was 800 because I thought if I have 800 subscribers, that will allow me to leave my job. You know, what would you do? How would you get these 800 subscribers <laughs> in like two weeks? If like, if you had to do it, like if failure was not an option. And so I decided an affiliate program was what I needed. I needed to get in front of other people's audiences, people who already had established audiences. And so that was sort of our next step to growing this thing. And I think that's, that was a huge help to us. You know, a couple of things strike me. One is the appeal of something that's a mystery for that first year's box. You know, like I used to take my daughter to Claire's 
in the mall to spend her allowance money. And she would spend half an hour looking at every product in the whole store. And in the end, she would come back to the mystery ball. She always wanted the mystery because it was like, you could see everything, but the one that you couldn't see was the one that she always wanted. And this happened time and time again. And it really underlined for me how much people are drawn into something that's a mystery and that they can't see. So I think that that is really um, interesting. And then the other piece is that money back guarantee, which, you know, people always told Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos, who tragically died um, not too long ago, but when he started Zappos that, you know, women would never buy shoes online. And he felt like, well, if we offer 100% money back, free shipping guarantee, then they will. And he was absolutely right, obviously, um, because there's no risk involved. You know that if it comes and I don't like the way they feel or they don't fit or whatever, I just send them back and I'm literally out nothing. Um, and yes. so that that sense of trust was really smart to build in into the beginning. Um, but then listening to the audience and making some tweaks for the second year when it became Yarnable, um, it was also really, really smart to do. And so talk a little bit about the affiliate program, because it sounds like what you're saying is that was um, really a game changer for you. And for people who maybe aren't super familiar with how affiliate marketing works, I think it would be good to understand how this changed the game. Yeah. So it was scary for me to reach out to people and ask them to become affiliates for me because I, I felt like I was still small and I was reaching out to people who had been doing this for longer and had a bigger audience. And so that was a little bit scary, but I feel like uh, going back to talking about my sales background, I, I fell back on that a little bit and the ability to be like, okay, well, we're going to put, we're not Cheryl, the like insecure new business owner. We're, we're not her today. We're going to be the salesperson who is a little more confident and can reach out to people and not take it personally if they say no and, you know, just ask. So what I did was I set up a very small invite only program because it felt too big and overwhelming to set up on some of these larger like marketplaces that are out there for affiliates that you can, you can just sort of put your program on and then anybody and everybody and their brother can request to join. I knew I wanted to have a lot more control over it. And I really wanted it to be based within the, the yarn and knitting industry. So I put together a whole program of, you know, what, what they were going to get, how I was going to sort of make the juice worth the squeeze to them, because you know, I knew that you're you're not going to market something. It's, it's a lot of effort. Affiliates who really do a, a good job, they're putting a lot of effort in. And sometimes I think people might think that it's easy money. They're just, you know, throwing a link out there and they're getting these commissions, but it's not that simple at all. And I wanted to make sure that the juice was going to be worth the squeeze for them. And also that it was something that I could afford. We needed to make sure we had the right profit margins built into the subscription so that we could afford to pay affiliates and still be making money. Um, so we did a lot of research on softwares that we could use to host this program. And we we ended up with one. It's called Lead Dino. That's the one we ended up with. But there's a bunch and they're all they all do pretty much the same thing. And so we ran the program through that. And so I, I start sending out um, Instagram messages to people who I had made some connections with over, over time, over in the couple of years now that I had been doing this. 
Um, because I, just to kind of go back a little bit from the beginning, I knew the value in making relationships with people, even if I didn't need anything from them or they weren't going to need anything from me, just getting to know people in the industry online. I just felt like you never know when you might be helpful to someone or they might be helpful to you. So I'd spent a lot of time from day one, just trying to get to know people. And so I think that that really helped out because then when I was ready to make this affiliate program, I had some people I could ask. So I kind of had like a a mid-tier, like a safe zone of people I was going to ask who they knew me, they have tried my yarn before. And then I had a kind of a scary zone where these people didn't know me and they had much bigger audiences. And so I reached out to them and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Here's a little information. If you want to know more, let me know and I'll send you the information over. So I felt like I didn't want to bother them. I didn't want to be like spammy in their inbox. Um, But that's how I started it. And most, I think almost everybody said yes. You know, whether or not they ended up, it ended up working out long-term is another thing. But at the beginning, most people said yes. And, and, and we started, I think with like maybe 10, 10 affiliates, mostly people who had like YouTube podcasts and things like that. Um, And they brought in, I mean, I want to say from 2019 to 2020, we had 300 subscribers in 2020, but then um, very quickly, from 2020 to 2021, we doubled. So um, February of 2021, we ended up with 700 subscribers. So I feel like that once the ball started getting rolling with the affiliates and there was like a buzz that started getting created out there on the internet and people were kind of seeing it everywhere they looked, um, they felt safer to join the the subscription box. and. Um, and I felt like it was better to give affiliates this commission payment because I knew if I was paying them, I had gained a new subscriber versus giving all that money to like Facebook or Google or some other advertising platform where that money may or may not result in sales. Right. Absolutely. Because you're building on the trust people already have with their audience. And what is the commission um, fee that you're giving to your affiliates? Do you mind sharing? Yeah, not at all. So it ends up working out to about 20%, I think, of the subscription. And there's a few things that are kind of affected by that. And one is, you know, they get a coupon code that they can share with their audience. So it's it's 20% of the of the top retail price of the subscription after sort of all of those, you know, discounts and and things come off the top. So Right. And I think being generous like that is is a good rule of thumb with affiliates, because as you said, it is a lot of um, work for them. So, okay. So you had doubled the um, the number of subscribers and then you said you needed to move into more of an industrial setting. So how did the business change as you began to scale? So once we hit that 700 subscriber mark, and I'll back up just a little bit. So I had thought 800 was that magic number that was going to allow me to replace my full-time income. And I had carried all the benefits. I carried our family's health insurance. Like I was, you know, the person that was bringing in all of these things. So I thought 800 subscribers was going to be that magic number. And it turned out that I didn't need that many subscribers. So what we ended up doing was we kind of had two options. We had to either 
bring on more and more subscribers, or we had to need less to live on. So we ended up going for the need less option. So we took from the time we launched that subscription to the time I left my job, which was October 2020, we took all that time to just pay off every debt we had, every, you know, anything we could, we got rid of. And so we did not need what we thought we were going to. And that was one magic in and of itself, because when you don't, (laughs) when you don't, when you no longer have this debt and your money can just kind of come and sit and live in your bank account, instead of going right back out, we realized like, wow, okay, we actually don't need to hit that 800 subscriber count. So I left my job when we had 300 subscribers in October, 2020. And the funny thing is, is that then our next launch, which was February 2021, is when we doubled. So it almost felt like if I hadn't made that move, like maybe we, we didn't have the space, we didn't have the room, we didn't have the bandwidth to handle that. And then once we did, it sort of grew very quickly, very naturally, uh, which I found quite surprising. And that was at the same time we decided, okay, my my little like one-story ranch with a basement was not going to cut it for packing 700 subscription boxes a month. Because if you think about it, we're ordering product well in advance because we can't, people can't just provide 700 pieces of something within usually like a, a week or two's notice. So we're buying months of inventory and storing it all in my basement, in my living room, we're packing boxes in the hallway where just, you know, yarn is hanging from literally every surface that we can hang yarn from. So we knew we had to move. Um, And so we found a commercial space very quickly, which now in hindsight, I feel like was extremely lucky because we're, we've been looking to move again and um, we're having a quite difficult time finding availability in the commercial space. But we, yeah, so we found something really quickly and we moved, um, we didn't move the yarn dyeing, we moved the packing at first because it was scary. It was still scary. Even though I had this recurring revenue coming in, it felt, it felt like a lot to move it out of my house because that meant I have to leave my home every day and go somewhere else (laughs) to do a big portion of this job. And then I have this um, monthly commitment that we had not, we bootstrapped the business. We had no debt. So this was our first real um, commitment money-wise that we had to make. And, and that comes with having to buy insurance for, you know, <laughs> the space. And there, there was just a lot to go along with it. But kind of like I've said all along the way, I just focused on the one thing in front of me. So, okay, what's the first thing I have to do? We have to find the space. What's the next thing we have to do? We have to talk to our insurance agent. And we just did it little by little. Um, and yeah, we just, we moved all the equipment. We hired the plumbers. We, we did all the things. And then about six months later, we realized this isn't enough space. We need people who can actually help dye the yarn and help wash the yarn and do all of these things. So, Luckily, the space right across the hall from me was also available. So we we rented that as well. And we made that our dye studio. And so we kind of doubled the equipment that we have. We got a second large sink. We got a second large uh, oven to, to set the yarn in. And then we started hiring. So, 
you know, I just, I feel like we were just kept taking baby steps and baby steps. And, um, you know, I didn't know how to hire somebody. I didn't know how to do payroll. I didn't understand how taxes worked, but you know, we just, we figured it out. And people generally are one of the biggest, if not the biggest expense in the business and finding the right people, hiring the right people and being willing to pay them and being able to pay them. That's really the biggest hurdle, at least in my experience, because when payroll comes through, you're like, oh, there goes a big chunk of change. Yeah, that's that's always like a hard one. Um, And so do you offer replenishment now? Because I feel like yarn and you have other things that you're partnering with independent makers to include in the box. So it's not yeah. just um, yarn, but um, but I feel like yarn is a product that lends itself particularly well to a subscription box. And people do want replenishment of that specific colorway so that they can, you know, knit something larger or or more with the same one. Um, so so to talk a little bit about the, the offering of, re- of replenishment. And do you agree with me that yarn you know, kind of works particularly well versus some other sorts of products that maybe you would want a gift box of, but not a subscription box to. Yes. So I think one of the biggest challenges in subscriptions is that you don't want people to accumulate stuff because they will burn out of that. They, you know, everywhere they look, they have something that you sent them that they didn't use, or, you know, you could send them full size product. And by the time the next month comes around, you're sending them more and they still haven't used the the first one you sent. So that can be a real challenge. And so one, yes, anything that is usable on, you know, the, a regular basis is great. And, you know, knitters, we love to knit. And so we're always casting on projects and more projects that we could probably even finish in a year, but that's fine. We just hide our project bags all over the house and we, you know, we love to cast on new projects, but also for, for yarn lovers, collecting yarn is kind of a hobby in and of itself. So yarn lovers love or at least my my customers, my audience, they like to have a yarn stash. They like to be able to go to their stash if they want to knit a larger project and go stash diving and put different combinations of colors together and create that themselves. So, um, so we we kind of do two things. One, we say that you know if you're subscribing to a yarn subscription, the longer you stay, the the bigger of a collection you're going to get in that sort of same style of yarn because different dyers have different styles. And sometimes even though colors might look well together, the style of dyeing doesn't go well together. So the longer you stay with one particular dyer, you're going to get a a collection and you're going to start seeing color combinations that you can put together. Uh, But then two, we did start eventually adding the option to purchase additional skeins or past boxes. So we could not, we didn't have the bandwidth to do that um, for quite a while. So it it was for a long time, you know, you get what you get. You can subscribe and get two skeins of yarn for me. So you can get one or two skeins. So that helps a little bit for larger projects. Now we dye extra. We dye overages. Um, One, because packages go missing, things get lost. 
you know, you never know what's going to happen. So we always like to have some extras. And at this point we have, um, we usually, you know, waver between 1400 and 1600 monthly subscribers. So even if a small percentage of things go wrong, that can still kind of be a big number. So for instance, in December with the holidays, we had 99 packages just disappear into the ether, just disappear never to be seen from again. And luckily we actually had that yarn on hand so we could replace all of those packages. So, you know, it was kind of easy (laughs) because it could have been a nightmare had we not had that done. It would be hard to add another hundred skeins into our rotation where we've already moved on to another month. So we do dye quite a bit of extras. And then we have, um, because we're dying in such large quantities, There's always a percentage of yarns that we get from the manufacturers that have maybe a broken thread or, you know, something wrong, right? There's just a small percentage that inevitably we come across. So we put those aside and we sell those in our shop as well. They're very usable. They're perfectly fine yarns. You might just need to weave in an extra end or something, but we offer them at a massive 50% discount. So then people who maybe haven't tried the subscription or just, you know, want to check out something for me that is more budget friendly, they have that option too. So we're offering a lot more options now for people after the fact, but then once that's all gone, we don't dye it again. So we're dying it all for the month that we're dying for. And then once it's done, whatever's left is left. And then if you don't have that, then it's gone forever. We don't re-dye it. And have you thought about or do you have a community that goes with your subscription where people can share, oh, here's what I made with the July box, like like a Facebook group or a Ravelry community? We do. We have a Facebook group and we so we we put a post up every month and we ask people because people get they're very excited, which we love and we get so excited when they're excited. Um, And we have some subscribers that live locally to us. And so they'll get their box the next day. And we don't want to ruin that surprise for other people. So we ask, we put a post up every month on the first of every month. And we ask them to please share their excitement and their photos and what they're casting on in the comments so that it's not ruining it for everybody, but that they can still, you know, share that joy and excitement. Um, But the other thing that's really great is our community a lot of them have YouTube channels. A lot of them have knitting podcasts. They have their own YouTube channels. And so many people tell me that they found Yarnable through, through YouTube, through so-and-so's podcast or, you know, whatever it is. So, um, so that's really great too, because there's a lot of people showing what they got every month. And if they do that consistently and they create a playlist on YouTube, we'll actually link to their YouTube channel on our website. So other people who are just learning about Yarnable can go and click and watch these reviews and unboxings. And these people aren't affiliated with us. We don't, you know, they don't receive a commission. They just genuinely love their, their subscription. And so they're sharing it. And I feel like that's the best sort of um, you know, advertising that we can get is that word of mouth. Absolutely. And you have a podcast yourself, just so um, people who are listening to this podcast are clearly podcast listeners. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yes. So I co-host the Makers Gonna Sell podcast, and we just wrapped up our, like our first season. 
it's right now we have not recorded. We may be, it may be coming back in a little bit of a different format uh, later on this year, but we have a full season out and it really just encourages new handmade business owners and helps them understand just a lot of the small ins and outs. We tackle a lot of different topics about, you know, how do you break into an oversaturated market? How do you find your ideal customer? How do you get a business bestie? Because we, you know, I think, and my co-host, her name's Nikki, we both think having business friends is so invaluable because one, our families and friends can't always understand, but two, as business owners, like we want to talk about our business all the time. (laughs) I know I do. And it's not really fair to them to just always be talking about my businesses, my challenges, you know, my inventory woes, my, you know, my husband's always here to listen, but I'm sure he likes to talk about some other things as well. So it's great to have somebody else in your life who gets it. Yeah, absolutely. So loved hearing about this, Cheryl. Thank you for sharing all of this wisdom. And definitely folks should tune into your podcast and listen to that first season to get more wisdom. And I want to make sure we get to your recommendation list. And your first recommendation is a tool that I use as well for my business, and it's Trello. So tell us a little bit about how you use Trello. Oh, my goodness. Trello is my favorite. I use it for pretty much everything. I have a daily planner that I have set up in Trello. I have my employee schedules set up in Trello so that I can see who is going to be working when so that we can organize, you know, exactly how our workflow is going to happen for each day and each week, especially where we have such a high volume. We need to keep really close tabs on that. I also use it for our when work with our virtual assistant. So we have our SOPs in there and our links to all of our different softwares that we use so they can access that and we have our workflows for them in there. Um, yeah, it just I, our, my subscription box, everything gets ordered for the subscription for a year in advance in Trello. Um, I think it's great if you're a visual person and you like to really see uh, without having to dig into something, just see at a glance and and you can make it pretty and you can for our box themes are really important. So that color coordination and all of that stuff is just very suited for Trello. We love it. And you also wanted to recommend Atomic Habits by James Clear. I love James Clear and subscribe to his newsletter for many years. And um, he's a person who's an expert on habit formation. Atomic Habits was a book that I didn't read for a long time. It was on my to read list and I just never picked it up for whatever reason. And then once I did, I feel like the name Atomic Habits is a little almost misleading because it is about habits, but it's about so much more than habits. And I feel like it really changed how I look at just not my business, but my whole life. And I know one thing in his book that he talks about that resonated with me very strongly was, you know, what type of person do you need to be to achieve, you know, whatever it is that you want to achieve? And that can be a business in your personal life, whatever. And I don't know that that little like change in thinking just made such a huge difference to me because instead of thinking like, oh, well, I'm not a person who does this. I'm not a person who appears on podcasts. I'm not a person who can die 1500 skeins of yarn in a month. Instead, I could change that to, well, who do I need to be in order to do this? 
And, and just that shift in your thinking is, if you read the book for nothing else but that, it's 100% worth it. Absolutely. That's great. Really good recommendation. And then your last one is a self-care recommendation, which is always good. And they are lush bath bombs. And there's a lush store in our mall right nearby. So, oh man, lush bath bombs. If you haven't tried them, they're addicting. So, you know, maybe don't try them if you're not looking to go down that whole, whole rabbit hole. But we moved into um, a new home just this past September and it came with a jacuzzi, big jacuzzi bathtub. And I was never a bath person until I got this tub. And when I did, I immediately knew, well, I need bath bombs for this tub. And I have a friend who buys Lush bath bombs for her children. And I was like, well, I have to go try them. So it was my first foray into a Lush store. We have one at our mall also. And my goodness, it's just a little slice of heaven. And I just think, you know, whether it's a Lush bath bomb or whatever it is that you enjoy doing, if it's just quiet time, reading, whatever it is, I just think we work so hard as creatives, whether you have a business or not, we pour so much of ourselves into creative work that it can be exhausting. And if you add a business on top of that, like we need to take some time, we need to schedule it in and we need to take that time for ourselves because it's not sustainable to just work at such a high level all the time. Yeah. And you have this monthly obligation, as you said, right? So the thing, you know, there's really good advantages of recurring revenue, um, for sure. And, um, and, and, but there's also a flip side to that, which is that you are in sort of, you have an obligation to these subscribers that never ends. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. It never ends, which, you know, for good or for bad, as soon as one month closes, we're shipping packages today as we record the 31st. My team's at the office with a USPS pickup. And tomorrow we're dying next month's yarn. Like there's, it just, the cycle continues. Yeah. So do you think you can ever go on vacation? Yes, I will be going on vacation. We are scheduling our my so my husband and I have never actually taken a vacation together. We've been married. We were married in 2005. We have never vacationed together. So for his 50th birthday next year, we are taking a two week vacation. And you know, now that I have a team, uh, I can do that. I can do some things for myself. And like life, business life does go on. If I'm sick, you know, if I need to be doing something else they're there and it's magical. So as, as scary as it is to hire a team and, and the expense, I, um, I'm a little bit addicted to hiring people now. Yeah. Especially because you have all of your operating procedures in Trello, everybody can access everything. It's not all any, none of, none of this is local to your computer or your self yes. um, as the only person who can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, absolutely. And that's hugely important. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's podcast was sponsored by Search Press. Search Press is proud to sponsor this podcast and delighted to bring you wonderful craft books for all levels of experience. 
As an independent family-owned publisher, Search Press books are supplied through art and craft retailers in the U.S. and Canada. Search Press books are available through craft distributors and are sold to the trade by Penguin Random House. Thank you so much, Search Press. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.